And resting is something that we all need. This is not the easiest passage of Scripture to read and immediately know exactly what is uh, being said. And so we're going to kind of work our way through some of the verses and try to get out this beautiful picture of God's rest, but it can be kind of a, a multi-dimensional uh, view of God's rest, which can make it a little difficult to, uh, to get through. So here we go, starting uh, with verse 1 of Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, God's rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declare, declared on my oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. For since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted today, if you hear your voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, as we hear your word, as we read your word, and as we listen for your voice, we pray that you would work your rest in our hearts, that you would draw us close to your heart. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We need rest. That comes to the surprise of no one this morning. Uh, in January of 2001, USA Today put out a, an article that, uh, that reported on a survey uh, on how much we need rest. And the that article was, Americans working too hard. And here is what is, was reported in that article. A percentage of Americans who say they need more fun in their life, that 68% of Americans said that in that survey. Uh, how many said they need a long vacation? 67%. Those who reported they often feel stressed, two out of three, 66, often feel stressed. Feel that time is crunched, 60%. Uh, those who want less work, more play, 51%. 
people who feel pressured to succeed, 49, one out of every two, and feel overwhelmed. One out of every two people, 48%, report overwhelmed. And I imagine life has gotten a little more complex since January of 2001. Don't you think? This is before 911, uh, before 911, and things we know have just increasingly gotten more complex these last 20 years. Now, if I had to guess, why those numbers? Why the fatigue? Why the pressure? Why feeling like time is crunched, too busy? Um, I think it is because we have this connection between our work and managing life. And we think, oh, the more that I work, the more income I have. And the more income I have, the better that helps me manage my life. And that makes sense to some degree. Uh, And the more that I work, the more I'm able to actually manage problems. I'm putting my effort into it. And that kind of makes sense. So we have this connection in our mind between doing work and managing problems, doing work and receiving some kind of rest. Our work leads to rest, we think. Yet it doesn't seem like real rest, does it? Because we know that no matter what we do, right around the corner is just another fire to put out. We're always blowing out little fires. So no matter how hard we work, we know there might be some rest, but it's not real rest. It's not the rest that we need. Now, this Hebrews 4 passage speaks to a different kind of rest, a real rest. It's God's rest. So we're going to look at three things this morning. What is God's rest? Why can we enter into God's rest? And how do we receive God's rest? Those three questions this morning. So let's start off with question one, what is God's rest? Uh, This passage isn't the easiest to read as I mentioned, and say, ah, I know exactly what God's rest is. Because the writer of Hebrews, um, he talks about different dimensions of God's rest, different, different uh, ways to think about God's rest. So I want to try to point out just a few of these ways uh, throughout the sermon today. I'll try to point those out. Um, but the first statement that I want to start off with is this. God's completed work leads to rest. We often think our completed work leads to rest. This is God's completed work leads to rest. So look at verses 3 and 4 again in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. We, now we who have believed, enter that rest. We know that our belief is important, and that's something we'll talk about in a little bit. Just as God has said, so I declared on my oath and my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Again, this is God's rest that is being offered to us. Now, verse 4 says, For somewhere God has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. See, belief is important. It's God's rest. And there's this dimension of God's rest that God rested after he completed his works. God's completed works leads to rest. 
But the scripture also points to something that happened in the past. It says, they shall never enter my rest. So who is they in this passage? So if you flip back to Hebrews chapter 3, you'll notice who they is. The writer is referring to the ancient Israelites during the time of Moses and Joshua. And one of the things that makes this scripture a little more complex is several times it quotes Psalm 95 doesn't say that it's quoting Psalm 95. It just does. He just does. And refers to some things that are reported in Psalm 95 about they, the ancient Israelites, not entering into God's rest. So I'm going to look at a couple of these quotes from Psalm 95. So look at verse 7, first of all. Verse 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now that is a reference to Psalm 95 verses 8 and 9. So let's put those up on the screen. Do not harden your hearts. So you see that how Hebrews 4 referred to Psalm 95. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me and they tried me. So King David who wrote Psalm 95, is recounting this story. So you see how it's kind of this stacking of reporting. Hebrews 4 reports on Psalm 95. Psalm 95 reports on the ancient Israelite history here. Uh, Psalm 95 is recounting this story. They're recounting this story where the Israelites, they're in the wilderness. They were leaving Egypt as slaves. They're on their way to the promised land. But they're in the wilderness, and the Israelites start complaining. There isn't any food because we're in the wilderness. But if you remember that story, God provides them food. He provides them manna, bread from heaven. But God only provides that manna from heaven six days a week. There's a problem. There's a gap. What happens on the seventh day? Well, Exodus 16, verse 9 says, Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, the seventh day. The day after the the six days of work. That is why on the sixth day, God will give you bread for two days. God's going to give you a double portion of bread on the sixth day. But that double portion is not like this golden corral, all-you-can-eat fest on that sixth day. You're not supposed to just load up on that food and try to make it through the seventh day without food. No, you're supposed to... Just to take a portion of that double portion on the sixth day, and you'll have it for the seventh day. God says, I want you to rest on that seventh day. You don't have to work on that seventh day. I will provide for you ahead of time. He wanted the ancient Israelites to know that God's completed work leads to rest. So that's one reference of Hebrews 4 to a failure of the ancient Israelites. Here's another failure. That it reports. So Hebrews 4, verse 5. Look at this. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. And this is referring to Psalm 95, verses 10 and 11. So let's look at that. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. So I declared an oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. 
Now, what was going on with the ancient Israelites that provoked God to say that? Well, when the Israelites were approaching the promised land, they sent spies into the new land. Many of you remember this story. And those spies came back with a positive report and a negative report, a very positive report on just how wonderful, beautiful the promised land was. It would be a wonderful place that God was leading them to. The negative report was on the inhabitants of the land. They're like giants. And the spies said, they will crush us if we try to enter this land. So they didn't trust God to protect the Israelites as they occupied this land. And God said, they will never enter my rest. And so 40 years, that generation wasn't able to enter, and they died in the wilderness. And their children, the the next generation who hadn't wavered in their trust, they were able to enter the promised land. But the rest of them had to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. So we have two failures that are reported in Hebrews 4. Can we uh, can we use those two events uh, in their history to make a, make a statement about uh, what God's rest is? And so here's what I have. God's rest is peace from what God has done and what God will do. It's peace. It's real peace. But it's not peace on your ability to manage things, to do things, or things that you are planning to do. It's peace from what God has done and what God will do. So we we rest in what God has done. But we also rest in what God will do, what we know God will do. The Israelites didn't trust that God would actually protect them from the giant inhabitants of the promised land. And so they weren't able to enter. So there's one word in particular that describes what God was doing or what was asking the Israelites to do, and that is trust. God was asking them, trust me, please. And we have to realize that God will put us in circumstances where he is saying the same thing to us. Trust me, please. God will put you in circumstances where that question, will you trust me, becomes front and center. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Next question. Why can we enter into God's rest? So look at Hebrews 4 verses 8 and 9. Why can we enter it? Those verses say, for if Joshua had given them rest, remember the younger generation of Israelites actually were able to go in the promised land, led by Joshua. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So Joshua is the one who led the Israelites in the promised land after being in the wilderness for 40 years. Wow, sounds like rest, right? But not really. We know that it wasn't really restful for them while they were in the promised land. They got a little rest, but it wasn't this full, complete rest. In verse 9, the writer of Hebrews says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You see, the promised land was just a shadow. It was just a shadow of things to come. The rest that they experienced, the rest that they did have, was just a shadow of this real rest 
that was to come. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, most of the things, most of the attributes of the Jewish faith were just shadows of things to come. The temple. Uh, The practice of making sacrifices, just a shadow of something to come. The exodus out of Egypt as slaves. The, The Passover. The journey to the promised land. The promised land itself, just shadows of things to come. And did you notice how Hebrews then brings in one more dimension of God's rest? Remember, there's different dimensions to God's rest. Verse 9 says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So it's a different, a different term for rest. If you look through Hebrews chapter 4, you'll see rest, the word for, one word for rest, like eight or nine times. And it's, it is the word where we get our word pause. But this new term appears, a Sabbath rest. It's a different rest God is talking about. So the ancient Jews had this prescribed way to observe the Sabbath. God said, do not work on the Sabbath day. Don't work that seventh day of the week. And they developed all kinds of rules to live that out. What will we qualify as work? What do we think God would qualify as as work? Because we want to stay away from work. If we do work on the Sabbath, we get stoned. We want to avoid working on the Sabbath because we want to stay alive. Just as an example of how tight those rules were, flash forward to Jesus' day. He and his disciples were walking through a grain field on one Sabbath, and they were apparently pretty hungry. So they just didn't do much. They they grabbed a few of the the grain stalks, the the tip of the, the little plant. They grabbed them and they just kind of rubbed them between their hands to remove the husk, the shell, and they ate the grain. That's all they did. And later that day, the religious leaders went up to Jesus and they asked him, uh, why are you breaking the Sabbath? And you can imagine Jesus saying, well, we just, we just got a snack. Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Jesus healed the blind and the crippled on the Sabbath. The religious leaders scrutinized him. Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath, was he? He transformed the the meaning of the Sabbath. How do you really follow the Sabbath, Jesus was showing? And it doesn't mean stay away from things that would benefit you. Jesus said the Sabbath is for healing, it's for helping, it's for partaking of those things that would benefit you. Because the Sabbath is made for man. The Sabbath is not made for you to follow just to live out these rules. It's made to benefit you. The Sabbath day is here to serve you, not so that you could serve it. So how could Jesus do this? Well, here's how. This little truth. Jesus fulfills God's promise for rest. You see, for centuries, the ancient Israelites sought rest in the Sabbath. But they never really received it. And now Jesus came along 
And he was showing the Sabbath. It's, it's fulfilled in me. And that's why he was able to say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So here's what I know. Rest in God is not something that comes automatically. We have to bring some intention to it. You know, our physical bodies will rest one way or another. We can either make the intentional decision, I'm going to get some rest. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to take a nap. So we can intentionally give our physical bodies rest. But even if we don't intentionally do it, our bodies will rest one way or another. We'll get so tired, we'll be working so hard, our bodies will break down, and we will have rest forced upon us. We know that to be true. But with our spiritual self, it's different. You can have spiritual unrest your entire life. So we have to look for how we receive spiritual rest. So I'm going to mention three things we can do. One, believe in the work of Christ. Believe in the work of Christ. The Bible promises if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Look at verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God rested from his work. So for the person who keeps striving to do good in order to please God, God says, "Just, just rest from your works. Give it a rest. Rest from your striving. There was already a perfect work done make you right with me, but it wasn't your work. It was Christ's work on the cross, which was completely enough to make you right with me. So rest from your works. You can know that you'll have this eternal rest with Christ. And this eternal rest with Christ, this is the fullest dimension of God's rest. Remember, different dimensions, ways to look at God's rest. The fullest dimension is this eternal rest that we have with Christ. You know, this world is full of frustrations, and we know. Like we said earlier, there's always one around the corner. We know this. The next life we have will have no frustrations. So, one, believe in the work of Christ. Two, realize trust equals rest. To the degree that you trust, so is the rest you will have in your heart. So, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And this, of course, refers to the the example of disobedience, of the, the unbelief of the ancient Israelites. Not their unbelief in Christ. It was their unbelief in what? That God would come through for them. They were not trusting in The work of God, already done, not trusting in the the work that God will do. So really resting in God comes when we preach to ourselves daily the good news of God's goodness towards us. Did you notice how the writer of Hebrews brought that out? Look at uh, verse um, 
Was it verse 11? Uh, I think I mislabeled that. Verse 7, God again set a certain day, calling it today. Today's the day for rest. That second verse, go back one, one slide. The, the second verse, uh, to, or part of the verse, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Every day you have to preach to yourself, no matter what I'm seeing around me, no matter what struggle I'm going through, no matter what I seem to be losing, God will come through for me. You have to preach it to yourself daily. Today's the day to preach that to yourself. And finally, celebrate a weekly Sabbath to train your trust. Now, today we don't have the same um, restrictions placed that were placed in the ancient Israelites. You know, they couldn't work or else they would be stoned. <laughs> and you may say today, hey, I think everyone needs to, you know, do it the Chick-fil-A way. No work on the Sabbath. No work on Sunday. But here's the thing we need to get. We don't have to legalistically avoid work on Sunday. Because Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. So there's, there's not that law, that obligation anymore to not work on the Sabbath. It's not this legalistic rule you have to follow. Some of you may be saying, eh, Chick-fil-A, that's the way to do it. You don't have to legalistically follow that Old Testament law. And it's not because you know, oh, we're not going to get stoned today if we work on Sunday. That's not why. You don't have to follow it. It's because Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. He perfectly trusted God when the Israelites couldn't and fulfilled the Sabbath. So here's what Martin Luther once said about the Sabbath. He said, if anyone sets up Sabbath observations or Sunday observations for us on a Jewish foundation, in other words, the Old Testament law, I order you to work on it, to ride on it, to dance on it, to feast on it, to do anything that shall remove this encroachment on Christian liberty. Do you get how free we are as Christians? Now, let me tell you what Martin Luther was saying. He was saying as Christians, we are not bound to the Jewish law because Christ fulfilled that law. He was saying the Sabbath is about being free. So two practical thoughts and how to use your freedom on Sunday. And one with these. One, you are free not to work. You're free not to work. You're not obligated not to work. You are free not to work. It's not a legalistic command, thou shalt not work. But it's an invitation. You don't need to work. Take a day off, God is saying. Take a day off. God will still be able to manage your life and the universe just fine with you taking a day off and resting. What is that? That is trusting in God's provision. That is trusting in what God has done and trusting in God what God will do. And here's the second thought. How to use your freedom? You are free to make worship a priority on Sunday. Again, not as a legalistic command. Get your 
yourself over to church this morning, not as a legalistic command, but an invitation. So think about it. Why, why can't we play golf on Sunday morning? I mean, day of rest, go play golf, go, you know. Remember what old Marvin Zindler used to say, good golf, good tennis, or whatever makes you happy. Why not do that on Sunday morning? Because that kind of rest never is the full rest that we need, and we know that. That kind of rest, the the 18 holes of golf, that's just temporarily putting off the problems that we're going to get back, that we're going to be getting back to. It's not real rest. We need deep rest, and worship is where we connect with God to receive this deep rest. Worship is where we feel God lifting us up to his presence. It's otherworldly. We live in this world six days a week. Come on, one day, come to this otherworldly experience of God inviting us. Come, come to me and worship me. Be in my presence. We encourage one another as we sing songs to God that we can trust him. Because trust equals rest, real rest. In worship, he gives us a foretaste of this eternal rest that is to come. And I know that this time is a little challenging in worship when so many of us are worshiping in our homes. And, you know, this is why we try to maintain a really safe place here in the sanctuary, people being able to space out. If you feel like, I need to, I need to come, I need to come to worship. You can come to worship here in the sanctuary, or you can worship at your home. But don't miss out on this worship opportunity, not legalistically, but because God is inviting you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Rest. I know you need rest, God says. I know you need rest. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. We'll have the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in a song where we can come before God and trust in what he has done, already done, trust what he will do, and receive rest this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for fulfilling the Sabbath. Thank you for perfectly trusting and obeying God in receiving this rest that was promised throughout the Old Testament, but not really realized. But you have received it, and now you offer it to us. You say, come, I have this rest that I will give to you. It's not the rest that you'll be able to get yourself, manufacture yourself. It's not the rest the world will temporarily offer before more problems are thrown your way. It is real deep rest. Lord, help us to trust you and know that you are our maker, not just of our lives, ourselves, but maker of all heaven and earth. You are in control, and you are good. And so whatever challenges we face, Lord, whatever is weighing on our hearts in this moment, We turn them over to you. And now we pray, give us your rest. In Jesus' name, amen.